Paging Dr. Randy. Paging Dr. Randy. I just got on call and they're paging me already. They want me to do work as soon as I get to work. Come on, let's go. Yes, you, come on. Well, I'm Dr. Randy, nice to meet you. I'm a licensed family medicine physician. Since you're on call with me today, I want to make sure you learn as much as possible. Me and a few of my special friends are here to give you all the tips and info you need to live a balanced, healthy life. Are you ready to be on call with me? I hope so. So let's get it going. Our shift starts right now. Welcome back, healthy people, to On Call with Dr. Randy. I am your host, Dr. Randy. Glad that you're joining me again on this episode. Fall weather is here, ladies and gentlemen. If you weren't prepared for it, it is here. No matter what, it came with no warning. Opened my garage the other day and was like, jeesh, it is cool out here. I could have swore it was just hoochie daddy short season, and now it's fall season. Time to break out those lightweight jackets. I can hear my future son listening to this episode years from now asking me, Daddy, what is hoochie daddy short season? Well, son, there was a time when men would wear short shorts that were too short for them and show off their legs. Daddy, were you a hoochie? No, no, I wasn't a hoochie. I have nice legs, Daddy. I want to be a hoochie daddy. No, little Randy, you're not going to be a hoochie daddy. You're not going to be a hoochie daddy. Let me let me get back on topic and start talking about my fictitious son. Last month was Alopecia Areata Awareness Month. Alopecia Areata is a recurrent, non-scarring type of hair loss that can affect any hair-bearing area and can manifest in many different patterns. I was unaware that last month was Alopecia Areata Awareness Month, but after finding out, I wanted to have someone on to discuss alopecia. I reached out to my network of doctors and found Dr. Angela Rogers. Dr. Angela Rogers is a board certified family medicine physician and core faculty member of the Contra Costa Family Medicine Residency Program. She has worked in the Department of Emergency Medicine for the past three years, diagnosed with alopecia areata at the age of four, and has made it her goal to advocate for alopecia awareness and the psychosocial aspect of alopecia through publications, presentations, and performance. She led the Sacramento County Alopecia Support Group for 10 years and has served as a consultant for the National Alopecia Areata Foundation, also known as NAAF. Dr. Rogers is definitely informed on the topic of alopecia and will share some great information on it. So let's go on call with Dr. Angela Rogers. And while you're listening, be sure to go follow me on social media at underscore Dr. Randy. And if you get a chance, fill out the short survey in my show description. If you want to see the visual portion of this podcast, check out my YouTube channel. Just search for On Call with Dr. Randy on YouTube and you'll be able to see the interview with me and Dr. Angela Rogers. So let's go on call with Dr. Angela Rogers. Welcome back, healthy people, to On Call with Dr. Randy. Today we have the lovely Dr. Angela Rogers on. How are you doing, Dr. Rogers? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, Dr. Randy. I appreciate you for being on. So last month was Alopecia Awareness Month, and I reached out to Dr. Rogers to talk more about alopecia and the subject in total. But before we get started, what made you want to become a physician? 
So actually the topic that we are talking about, alopecia, led me to want to become a physician. Um, I was diagnosed when I was a young girl uh, with this hair loss condition and through my interactions with different doctors, um, both on the positive end and the not so positive end, kind of led me into my interest in medicine and helping people um, and ultimately into advocacy uh, dealing with alopecia. All right. And you became a family medicine doctor. What made you pursue the route of becoming a family medicine physician? Oh, yes. So I love family medicine because there are so many different aspects of medicine that pique my interest. Um, I love the, I mentioned advocacy. I love the advocacy portion. I love working with individuals. Um, I love working within communities. Um, And then basically all the topics of medicine from women's health to substance use disorder to procedural surgery aspects to acute care clinic. Um, Family medicine does it all, and I wanted to learn how to do it all. And within my training, I now know a little bit of everything, which has been really fantastic. So I definitely love family medicine and believe in it very much. Right. That's kind of the same reason that I went into family medicine from kind of what I saw on TV. I felt like a doctor should know a little bit about everything. And that's kind of what we do and who we are, doctors who know a little bit about everything. So as we kind of uh, get into alopecia, what is alopecia? Yeah, so alopecia areata is an autoimmune hair loss condition. So autoimmune meaning that our immune system, for those who have alopecia areata, basically is a bit confused. And so it attacks the hair follicles um, and that allows uh, or doesn't allow your hair to grow normally um, or in the places that it should. Um, multiple types of alopecia areata, the three most common types, uh, there's just alopecia areata, which is kind of a patchy form of alopecia. Basically there's like coin shaped bald spots that an individual will have on their head, um, or their facial hair, uh, alopecia totalis, which is the complete loss of all of your head hair. So totalis total, and then alopecia universalis, which is the most severe form which is what I have. Um, It's actually rare, um, but the most severe form. And it is a complete loss uh, universally, universalis of all the hair on your body. Okay. And you said you were diagnosed early on in life, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, Everyone is different um, in their progression of having the disease. Uh, I was diagnosed when I was a child with just the very mild form alopecia areata, a couple of bald spots that my mom found when she was doing my hair one day. Um, And through the years, I progressed to alopecia totalis and then eventually in college to alopecia universalis. So what was that kind of like for you with your journey? Yeah. um, I think the first thing that comes to mind, if I'll be honest to you, uh, it was absolutely terrifying uh, to lose all of my hair as a young woman in college. I was pre-med, right, studying to be a doctor. And um, within the course of a couple of months, um, I lost all my hair. I went from kind of seeing my family during the summer, had a full head of hair. And then when I came back for winter break that same year, a few months later, all my hair was gone. My parents, I remember, were, um, they were devastated. They, they thought I was really ill. They didn't know what to do. Um, but uh, I would say kind of early on in life when I initially got diagnosed, 
um, I was a kid, so I didn't really understand what was going on. I just knew that I was different. I was having to go to the doctor multiple times, getting blood tests. Um, there was a kind of experimental medication that I was um, placed on within like a, um, a clinical trial when I was a young kid um, with a dermatologist who was in Florida. Um, who I actually notified when I got into medical school. That was pretty wild. He was super excited um, to hear that one of his patients kind of became a, a doctor. Um, but um, yeah, early in life, I didn't really know what was going on, just felt like I was different. Um, and then kind of later in life now, jumping to now, it's taken a lot of hard work, um, uh, working with therapists and mental health professionals, going to support groups myself to get to a place now where I feel comfortable living as a bald woman um, of color and um, uh, kind of advocating for other individuals with alopecia. So long journey, um, but I definitely feel like it's made me stronger. And um, I, some people might not believe this, but I would do it all over again. It's made me who I am today. And uh, I like who I am today. <laughs> yeah, all right. Be proud of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned you feel like it's made you stronger. How has it made you stronger? Yeah, so I would say in general, the day that I, so I mentioned I lost my hair in college. Right after that, I started wearing wigs. And by the time I um, got involved with the National Alopecia Areata Foundation or NAF and kind of met more people who had alopecia, um, who looked like me, who had shared experiences as I did, I decided to stop wearing wigs um, right after my first year of medical school. And that day, I really felt a transition from being a very unsure, nervous, scared individual um, who lacked self-love, who lacked self-esteem because of you know my physical appearance changing so dramatically. Um, that day when I decided to stop wearing a wig, um, I feel like I transformed into someone who became a became a stronger, more confident individual rooted in self-love and rooted in really seeing other people beyond their physical appearance. I think maybe that was maybe one of the biggest changes. Um, I... I hate to say this, but I was very self-absorbed in how I looked um, as a, a person of color. I think a lot of the Black women out there will know what I uh, mean when I say I had, quote unquote, good hair. Um, and so I was devastated, um, not only as a woman in general, but as a Black woman losing kind of that sense of who I was um, it was a very, a very powerfully emotional time in my life. And um, through my struggles, again, working with mental health professionals, I had a therapist I was working with um, uh, before I ended up not wearing wigs anymore. Um, through all of that time, I think I had a lot of time to think, to reassess how I valued myself, how other people valued me. And I feel like once I started um becoming a support group leader myself in Sacramento County in Northern California, um, I tried to transfer some of that knowledge um, to other individuals that you can, with this condition, it does teach you how to reassess how you value yourself, uh, your worth in society, um, how other people value you, the importance of just understanding your value. Um, 
beyond your physical appearance. It was, uh, it was quite a journey. (laughs) (laughs) So Kenny, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of our culture is tied into hair. Um, a lot of worth, a lot of beauty aspects, um, how people look at you individually. So what was that journey like for you from losing your hair to deciding to wear wigs? Yeah, it was a, it, it felt like a long journey, but in, in looking back, it was a very short period of time. Uh, I mentioned I lost my hair um, between the summer of my um, second year in college to kind of the winter time of my second year in college. So maybe two or three months. And within that time period, when I first started losing my hair, um, once I lost enough of it to where I couldn't really hide it with changing my hairstyle, I started wearing bandanas, hats, basically anything to cover up um, this thing that I felt so shameful about. And then when I went home for winter break, my mom, I remember very distinctly trying to help, drove me all around Southern California. We're from the Inland Empire, but drove us all all around to try to seek advice from different experts to see if I could, if I needed a hair plug or like a transplant or like there are so many different things that she tried to investigate for me to see if we could try to, you know, grow back my hair, anything we could do. Um, and eventually at the end of all those, um, kind of attempts, we just decided a wig would be the best next step. And so went with my mom, um, to the wig shop for the first time and, uh, bought my first wig. It was, um, it was, it was such a, such a kind of out of body experience that I'm having now, just kind of thinking about it. It was very emotionally confusing for me. I was happy to have something on my head that made me feel like I fit in with everybody else that I was, you know, kind of connecting with what we typically think of as beautiful, you know, a head full of long, you know, hair. Um, but I also was, I, I, I felt ashamed that I had this bald head that I needed to cover up that I, that society made me feel like I needed to cover because I didn't fit in. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was definitely a, uh, kind of a mixed emotion type situation. So I really feel for people with medical hair loss who, you know, need to get some sort of, um, you know, wig or some other type of, um, kind of hair prosthetic to, to wear because it's, it's not kind of a completely happy situation. It's not a completely, you know, you know, sad situation. A lot of people feel Mm -hmm. kind of mixed in the middle. Right. Because as I've kind of done research on this condition that people kind of as yourself have lost hair early on in life, I mean, early in life, and then some people have lost hair later in life. So there's kind of different journeys that people go through with their hair loss. Yeah, there it's 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 very odd. Autoimmune (laughs) conditions in general kind of like do their own thing there. There's no really, no real clear progression. Um, I've, I mentioned my journey diagnosed, you know, as a child and kind of progressively lost my hair and I've never had regrowth as an adult, but I've met people at different conferences who they've lost their hair completely when they were a kid and then it regrew and then they lost it again and then it regrew and it just sounds like this really kind of 
painful, to be honest, like unpredictable cycle that you go through that can really cause a lot of problems uh, mentally, I feel like, and emotionally, um, because uh, you can't go to a doctor, a dermatologist, and they tell you exactly what your progression will be as a particular patient. Um, So I think that's why it's so important. And most of my advocacy with alopecia areata has been specifically focusing on that psychosocial aspect. Um, There are medications that can be used to treat alopecia. There are, you know, potential environmental triggers that um, can worsen or, you know, uh, spark the condition. But at the end of the day, for most people, this is a chronic medical condition. And as with many other chronic medical conditions, you have a very real emotional attachment to it as your condition waxes and wanings pretty erratically without you kind of being able to control that part of your life. And so, so important for not only mental or um, uh, medical professionals to understand kind of the psychosocial impact that this condition can have, but also patients as well as family, friends, community, colleagues. Um, it is something that, uh, again, as a, as a chronic medical condition um, can really impact you similar to any other chronic medical condition. So what are some of the kind of psychosocial um, situations or feelings that individuals usually have that people may not know? Yeah, so I I think in general, um, when in the past, when I've heard about hair loss in general or alopecia areata, many people will say, oh, it's just hair loss. It's fine. You're not dying. It's not cancer. Um it's just kind of a physical appearance thing, right? It's not a big deal. Um, but I actually read uh, quite a bit um, of evidence showing that losing your hair is similar to, uh, believe it or not, um, an individual who is in battle, like in the military and loses a limb. It is a part of you that you are losing. Hmm. And if you out there can imagine, you know, losing an arm suddenly one day without control over that, losing a leg one day, right? Losing an eye one day. I mean, if you lose a part of yourself, like that impacts you emotionally for the rest of your life, right? Even if you get a prosthetic arm, just like even if you start wearing a wig, it is still going to impact you. And so I think um, what I end up ha- what I have ended up seeing with individuals in my support group that I've run um, in Sacramento County and individuals who have met at conferences and looking into the literature, uh, people can experience things like anxiety, depression, PTSD, um, issues dealing with uh, confidence, lack of self-esteem. And there are even some studies stating that some individuals have started to have thoughts of wanting to hurt themselves, having suicidal ideation. I mean, this is real deal stuff. Like, this is serious stuff that really needs to be addressed. And I think Now, as uh, alopecia areata has become more prominent um, in uh, social media, um, um, among celebrities, uh, politicians, I think Ayanna Presley has been like the most prominent, um, beautiful uh, woman of color out there who's been very proud and clear about having alopecia areata and advocating for it. Um, As we've seen more um, uh, people be open about having the medical condition, it's been talked about more, and that psychosocial aspect has been brought to the forefront. And I think that is so, so rewarding and amazing for me to see as someone who 
has been doing this work for 10 plus years to finally kind of see, you know, the rest of, um, you know, um, our community kind of uh, move forward in that direction to really focus on that psychosocial aspect. So you kind of mentioned some of the celebrities that have it, and I'm assuming it's more prevalent than people may realize. So how prevalent is alopecia? Yeah, there are millions of people who have alopecia, some form of alopecia areata. Um, one uh, study that I read quoted about 6 million people. Um, and so this is something that we see both not only in um, the United States, but internationally. Um, there are support groups internationally for alopecia areata. There are conferences that happen internationally. Um, and so it's really, really a big deal, very prevalent. And um, speaking as a woman of color, there actually was a study that was done 2019 Journal of the American Academy of Dermatology that actually quotes that if you want to talk about prevalence within the Black community, we have higher rates of alopecia areata. Mm. That is something very new, hot off the presses. Usually when we think about autoimmune conditions, we think about it being just prevalent among women. It's kind of a very common thing that we're taught in our medical training. But this study from just a couple of years ago reveals um, there was a um, there's a national registry run by the National Areata um, Alopecia Areata Foundation called the National Alopecia Areata Registry. And within this registry, there is 11,000 individuals who are registered. And within that group, when they separated out everyone into their specific race, those who identify as African-American or Black were at the top of the list. Um, and so something that definitely needs to be recognized, spoken about, um, and uh, again, needs to be brought to the forefront. Have they been able to yet figure that out? Why? That I'm not sure. I'm sure there are studies that are going on and I'm actually going to be starting a study with a couple of colleagues uh, to look a little bit deeper into the why mm -hmm. question. Um, I do know there are, there are certain types of alopecia or hair loss that becomes more prevalent in our community um, secondary to some of the um, hairstyle practices that are performed, um, some chemicals that um, are used. And so um, a lot of education, a lot of uh, ways to protect our hair to prevent um, hair loss from happening are definitely things that are, are being discussed now in the community. Yeah. Okay. Are there any particular risk factors that increase one's chance of possibly having alopecia, such as thyroid issues or other kind of auto immune diseases that are kind of tied in together? Yes. Yeah, so there is a correlation with a lot of conditions. Um, there's less of a, this will cause this definitely. And so mm -hmm. thyroid disease is very interesting because there are multiple types of thyroid conditions. There is an autoimmune type of thyroid condition. And if you have one autoimmune type of condition, you're at higher risk of developing another autoimmune condition. And so not exactly causation, but you know, there's some relationship there. There are other types of thyroid disease that are not autoimmune. And so although those can lead to 
types of hair loss, it's not exactly the autoimmune type that is defined as alopecia areata. Um, but definitely there are um, kind of things that we see as far as medical conditions. It's both kind of a genetic and environmental um, uh, type condition that can lead to uh, alopecia areata. But um, in terms of like the risks themselves, um, it's kind of hard to show exact causation. It's more of a kind of, oh, they're related, there's an association, um, but the mm -hmm. studies aren't quite there yet to show exactly like the risk factors that, you know, can cause someone definitely to, to develop alopecia areata. Okay. And so how have you as a woman of color had to deal with other things that maybe white women or other races haven't had to experience with you having alopecia? Yeah, I was thinking about this recently. Um, so I, it, it's interesting. I live in Oakland, California, um, which I, I think is known to be a very diverse um, uh, city, many different individuals of color um, who have many different uh, types of physical appearances. And I've had quite a few people tell me, and I've heard other bald women of color being told the same thing. When I talk about having alopecia areata, many people, their response to me is, oh, I, I didn't realize like you look like, you know, you're, you're doing totally fine. It looks like that's a style. You're making a statement. It's, um, it, it's not really recognized that, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't, know if I'm actually making a statement. I'm just kind of living the way that, you know, this medical condition has like led me to live. But I, I see less of a, less of an empathy that individuals give to uh, women of color who have medical hair loss. It's more of like, oh, black women look better that way. So like, you're fine. Oh yeah. And I've had other individuals tell me um, like, oh, you know, as a white woman, like I would look weird looking bald, but because of the, your skin color, you look better that way. Like, I'm glad you, you know, have alopecia because you're able to rock it. And I, I think it's said in a, in a, a attempt to give a compliment in like a positive manner to uplift um, an individual. But I also feel like it ends up really kind of being a backhanded compliment. Like that's something to easily internalize as a woman of color, like, oh, okay, you're okay with me having like this disease because of my skin color, I look better than you would if you were bald. Like it's, it's kind of, it's just not like the greatest thing to like say to someone else. But I would say aside that point, um, you mentioned earlier, like in our community, hair means quite a bit um, in terms of, uh, man, there's so much, um, not just the beauty aspect, but hair was also used as, you know, a political statement, advocacy in the past, and even now, um, and so I, I think it, it was a big deal to lose my hair, but I also feel like in this day and age, someone who is purposefully living bald as a woman of color, that is also can still be like a statement of advocacy, a political statement. Um, and again, I'll bring up Ayanna Presley. She's definitely used her, um, her um, baldness to advocate for things like the Crown Act, to advocate for, you know, funding for research for alopecia areata. And so um, it is, it is a, it is a blessing to be able to live in this way. Um, but I also believe that more work needs to be done to recognize that 
there are some particular um, aspects of alopecia areata, specifically the social psychosocial aspects um, that women of color go through that I don't feel like other individuals go through as much. I'll say that I can't speak for everyone because I'm not those people. But um, I know my experience, I know the experiences of women who look like me. um, And it does um, seem to be different than than those who don't identify as women of color. So I think you've also kind of support, uh, done some kind of support groups as well, specifically for women of color with alopecia. Yeah, yeah. So um, I uh, just completed my um, decade-long um, run as being the uh, lead for the Sacramento County Alopecia Areata Foundation <laughs> support group. So that's been um, so incredible. Started the group when I was a medical student, and now I'm a full-blown doctor. Um, so that's you been um, yeah, thank you, <laughs> thanks, Dr. Randy. Yeah, <laughs> that was um, one of the most impactful um, experiences of my life. I had a great time brought in some great speakers, some great resources, and also received support myself from the individuals in the group. And so it definitely was a, um, a two-way street as far as, you know, what I gave and what I got from the group. Um, I passed the group on to three UC Davis, uh, which is my alma mater, UC Davis medical students, who I think will do a fantastic job. Um, so there was that group. And then um, myself and one of my colleagues, who is also a woman of color with alopecia areata, Dr. Renee Thomason, um, we had a, um, a webinar series that we did uh, in collaboration with NAF, the National Alopecia Areata Foundation. Um, and that specifically was for um, women of color and kind of broadly women in general um, who had alopecia areata. We talked about, it was about a year long, the webinar. We talked about everything from um kind of an integrative medicine and holistic way to treat alopecia compared to kind of a um, a Western type medication that's offered. Uh, We talked about nutrition um, and lifestyle. We talked about um, just our personal stories. Um, We talked about kind of hair and makeup. We talked about mental health. Um, We talked about um, kind of the uh, political aspect of advocating for um, different policies to be put in place for um, coverage of prosthetic um, um, uh, hair pieces and wigs through insurance. There's so many things that we were able to discuss um, women versus men versus children and parents and how they, you know, um, how they have uh, their experiences within alopecia and how they've really dealt with it. So it was really incredible to have those sessions and um, they're still, they still should be on YouTube through, through the NAF, um, group, if you want to check some of them out. But, um, yeah, those are kind of the two big, um, ways in which I was involved with supporting others. And then separately from that, um, I was able, um, to help create the health and research ambassador program, um, which is basically a program that, Um, led myself and some of my colleagues with alopecia who were in the uh, medical profession to give presentations to dermatology residencies and dermatology um, organizations about the psychosocial aspect of alopecia. We also were able to give presentations and share our experiences with pharmaceutical companies to try to encourage um, funding and uh, studies to be done to find um, 
an FDA-approved treatment for alopecia. This is before uh, recently when there finally was an FDA-approved um, uh, medication that came out. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a really fun journey to be able to touch lives, to be able to you know meet people and build a community and to support uh, the alopecia community. How important are those support groups? Because like, I don't know if you were, were, are you, were you an SNMA? or NMA. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So for those who don't know, SNMA and NMA, those are organizations for people of color who are basically in medicine and doctors. And so it was good to go to those conferences and see people who are on the same journey as you and grinding like you and also look like you. So specifically for the conferences that you went to for alopecia areata, how, how important were going to those conferences for you? Yeah, so I can't express enough the importance of seeing someone who looks like you, who's been through what you've been through, sharing their experiences, validating your experiences and how challenging it was, and celebrating in your successes. Like there is nothing like it in this world. And so I would have to say support groups are essential. Um, there's research showing that for chronic disease like alopecia areata, other chronic diseases like diabetes, high blood pressure, you know, um, there are so many conditions out there where it really is something that you live with lifelong. And many times your friends, your family, your colleagues, they will try to understand how you feel, but they haven't gone through it. They can't quite get there as far as understanding the the pain, the incredible isolation and loneliness, the feeling um, ostracized from you know the rest of mm -hmm. those around you because of how you look. It is hard to understand that without living it. It's hard to mm -hmm. understand that just by someone telling you about it. And so support groups really are places where you can, sometimes it's the only place for people to be in a community with others who look like them, share their experiences, and who really can validate them in what they have gone through. And so, um, I mean, there is actually research out there suggesting that support groups not only can help can help basically treat or kind of prevent things like depression, anxiety, um, you know, mental health illnesses, but they also can prevent people from having suicidal ideation, from having these thoughts of wanting to hurt themselves or kill themselves, because a lot of that can come from feeling isolated, feeling like you're the only one, not having someone to, um, to talk to or to kind of release these emotions to. And so I would have to um, promote and advocate for getting a connected with some support group. And there's so many different uh, organizations out there for alopecia areata that you can contact. And if you don't want to physically go in somewhere to be seen, there are Facebook groups, there are um, phone uh, support group um, individuals who you can call and just get talk therapy. There are, you know, uh, different sessions on um, platforms such as Zoom and other platforms where you can connect with people virtually. And so there's so many different ways 
that people want to help you. They want to support you. They want to see you succeed. Um, and uh, it's uh, just waiting for you to tap into. Right. I want to help you as well, too. So I'm definitely going to put some of that information in the show description so y'all can click on those links to find those resources that Dr. Rogers talked about. And unfortunately, sometimes there are people who will minimalize what you're going through and just say, oh, like you mentioned earlier, it's just hair loss or that happens with age. But this type of condition is is different when your body's attacking itself and the sporadic nature of it, um, listening to other women's stories about them going through divorce and then having hair loss right after that. So it never comes at the right time to have the hair loss. Yeah, no, definitely, Dr. Randy. I'm glad you brought that up. There are um, many individuals who I've met who mentioned some sort of stressor in their life that then led to, or they believe led to them having hair loss. So I've heard of individuals, yes, having uh, some sort of um, family or relationship issue, and then they have hair loss, like a divorce or a death in the family. Um, I've heard of individuals who've had some sort of cancer, they got better, and then they had hair loss after that. Um, And so there are so many different things out there that not only could maybe trigger alopecia, but also could worsen it. And so I agree there, there is no, you know, perfect time for hair loss to um, push itself into your life. But again, uh, with, you know, support groups, conferences, um, there are so many and, you know, online platforms and Facebook groups and other, you know, um, organizations out there. There's so many different ways to, to seek help. So you're a doctor, Dr. Angela Rogers. How has this journey been different with you being a physician? Yeah. So number one, I think it got me into medicine. Uh, I definitely talked about it a lot in all of my personal statements, interviews, (laughs) anyone who would listen, um, I would share with them about um, how my experiences have made me into someone who wants to help other people who tries to look beyond someone's physical appearance to see what's, you know, deep within to try to, you know, help diagnose and treat whatever is going on. Um, I think I definitely am more empathetic um, when somebody has a condition that um, maybe is minimalized by other people um, because I remember when, you know, people did that to me. Yeah. And so I think Mm -hmm. one of the, one of the stories that I'll share with you about how alopecia has kind of led me into becoming the kind of doctor that I am when I was, I don't know, maybe nine or 10, 11, something like that. I was an adolescent. I remember going into, um, the doctor's office, the dermatologist's office to get steroid injections. So one of the treatments for alopecia is um, an intra, they call it intralegional um, uh, steroid injection. So they uh, get a syringe, uh, fill it with um, steroid liquid, get a needle and stick it into your scalp where your bald spot is and they inject. And the idea is that the steroid is going to help decrease inflammation, which will allow your hair to grow out of your hair follicle. Um, So I was getting those treatments and I remember the dermatologist very clearly. I remember um, the dermatologist stating, oh, as he was leaving the room, oh, if this doesn't work, like, I don't know what else we can do. And he just kind of like left. And I was sitting there 
after and I was thinking, okay, I'm a young woman. I'm losing my hair. I'm a kid. I'm not even a young woman. I'm a kid losing my hair. And here is this doctor who's supposed to have good bedside manner, who's supposed to make me feel supported and make me not feel like a disease. And he did the opposite. He made me feel like I had no worth, that I was just another patient he didn't really care about. Um, It was a very painful experience. And I took that memory and I stored it away deep inside. And I feel like when I see my patients now, I bring that out. And I think about that. How would I feel if I was a patient and I was experiencing what I experienced back in the day with that dermatologist? I would feel terrible. I wouldn't want to take a doctor's recommendations on you know, managing my condition. I wouldn't want to come back and see that doctor again. I wouldn't want to access healthcare maybe for a while because I was so hurt mm-hmm. about what happened. And so, especially with me working in the emergency department, I want people to know that they can come back whenever they have an emergency. So (laughs) it is in my best interest to make sure that I never make anyone feel like they shouldn't come back to seek services and healthcare again. Um, And I, I live by that very strictly because I believe that the way I interact with someone beyond the medicine I give them, right? Anyone could just give out a medicine. But the way that I interact with a patient matters. Yeah, that situation seems like it made a huge imprint on you. Even as a child, you recognize like, yeah, I might be a kid, but this this doesn't seem right. This I should have heard this. <laughs> right. So like your journey with medicine. Where are you at now as far as treatment-wise? Are you doing any kind of experimental treatments or taking any pills right now? Where are you at right now? Yeah, so short answer is no. Um, I uh, Within my support group, it was pretty interesting because everyone was in a very different place. Uh, there were some young women who were in clinical trials who had full regrowth of their hair, uh, who were around my age. And it was pretty remarkable to see Um, There are some individuals who were newly diagnosed and who were taking uh, either pills or rub-on medication. Um, And then there were other individuals who were older who had had alopecia for decades and who were like, you know, I'm okay with how I look. I'm not really interested in, Mm -hmm. you know, taking any medication. Um, There are real risks to taking these medications. A lot of them do um, uh, suppress or weaken your immune system. And so You really do have to weigh the pros, the cons, the alternatives um, to taking these new medications. Um, The medications, a lot of them too, they have a side effect of hair regrowth. Um, It's not necessarily how the medication was intended to be used. And so you kind of just have to hope that the medication side effect happens with you, (laughs) Um, that I've seen Mm -hmm. patients who've had wonderful successes of, you know, regrowing their hair and they're super happy. And I celebrate with them because that is what they want. That was their goal. That's, you know, something that they really um, wanted to, to focus on. And I think for those who are successful, it is such a wonderful thing to experience with them. Um, And for individuals like myself who are like, you know, when I was younger, I tried treatments Um, didn't quite work out. 
Now I am very happy with the way I look. I have um, a partner who cares very deeply about me, who's also happy the way I look. My friends and family, you know, are, I can engage with them because I've done the work of, you know, working with a therapist, working within my support groups. And I'm in a really good place right now. And I think my fear to kind of share with everyone out there is my biggest worry would be to start two big worries. Number one, um, I'm a young woman who wants to get pregnant in the next few years. And so those medications don't really work too well. They're not really safe with pregnancy. Um, But number two, um, I really want to, um, how do I phrase this? I really want to not get into a situation where I take a medication, it causes partial hair growth, and then I have to kind of reframe my mind again as to how I look. Like, what if I have partial hair and not like the full hair growth like I would have wanted? It's, I think when you go into starting to take medications, you have to really think about what is your goal and what is success to you? Would you be okay with growing one fourth of a head of hair? Would you be okay with growing a full head of hair? And then as soon as you stop the medication, it falls out because these medications are not safe to take lifelong. Um, it's really a gamble. And I would say at this point in my life, um, my career in medicine is enough of a gamble. (laughs) And so the patients I get each day are enough of a gamble. So I have enough of the thrill, um, just with my career. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna hold off on taking any new medication myself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I get all those special patients in the ER. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Hey, you get them too in the clinic though. I do, I do, but y'all, y'all stories are different. That's where I had the most fun at. Like, oh, man, I can't wait to go home and just, just tell somebody about these stories I've heard in the ER. So, so treatment wise, you kind of talked about it. So, if you can give a quick rundown, what are the standard treatments for individuals? I know you've mentioned injections. You've talked about creams. I'm sure there's also pills. What are the typical go-to medications? Yeah, I first will start by saying I'm not a dermatologist, so I do not prescribe these medications for anyone. Um, Family medicine um, trained and work in the emergency department, but kind of the typical medications that are given, usually, especially for kids, a lot of times topical medicines are the go-to medicines initially. So um, I think the generic name that people use is Rogaine. So just like a topical medication to rub on the areas that have bald spots. Um, Pills can be used to a lot of times those end up being steroids. Um, The most, uh, the newest um, medication on the block that's been FDA approved for alopecia is uh, within the JAK inhibitor family. Uh, That medicine has been used Mm -hmm. for quite some time with uh, rheumatologic conditions like RA um, and other autoimmune conditions. And now it's been, you know, after being studied, it's been formally approved um, to use, uh, which hopefully means insurances will cover it. Um, outside of the rub-on medicines and creams, outside of pills, um, the uh, steroid injections are also um, medications that are used. But as you can imagine, you really just want to use that on people with alopecia areata, the mild form that are just patches, um, just because it's not really feasible um, or very comfortable to do multiple injections if you're completely bald like I am. Um, there are some other um, medications um, or treatments that are done. Um, they basically, the idea of these treatments are basically to um, uh 
cause inflammation of the head, which basically kind of confuses your immune system and then leads to you having hair growth. Um, And then uh, plasma is another um, medication, basically kind of like taking your own plasma out and re-injecting it is kind of one of the newer medicines or newer therapies that I've heard about. Um, There are a bunch of other ones that I'm not going to be able to remember the names for, um, but your local dermatologist definitely can run you through Uh, more specific therapies and therapies that actually would work for you um, because not all therapies are a good idea for everybody to try. For example, if you're a woman trying to get pregnant, um, probably would stay away from systemic medications as those could cause issues with getting pregnant or the pregnancy itself. Okay. Let's say someone's listening to the podcast now. They're suffering from symptoms of alopecia or they have a child that's having the symptoms as well. What should their next steps be? Should they go to their primary care doctor? Should they seek out a dermatologist? Where should they start? Yeah, so I think always as a family medicine doctor, I love primary care. I think starting with your primary care doctor is a really good idea. Um, And they should be able to refer you to a dermatologist that could run through the different medications and treatments that you're interested in. Um, I think your goal in what you want to do as far as your next steps is probably the first place to start though. So if you want to seek actual medications, a dermatologist is the individual who you'll need to interact with. Um, There are also clinical trials that you can um, uh, look look at online and sign up for, Um, but I would really recommend going through your primary care doctor um, and then getting a referral to dermatology. If you are looking more for, you know, emotional support, if Uh, If you're a parent who has a child with alopecia areata and you just want to talk to another parent who has a child with alopecia or talk to a child who has, you want your child to talk to a child with alopecia, um, there are multiple organizations that are available. Um, The um, children's, um, what is it called? It's Children's Alopecia Project, CAP, C-A-P, is a wonderful organization specifically for children with alopecia. Um, it's run by a, um, a father who has a, a child with alopecia, um, really amazing organization. They hold camps um, every year and um, support groups and just a really great organization. Um, the National Alopecia Areata Foundation, or NAF, um, has been around, I believe, since the 80s. Um, They are internationally known, multiple support groups, annual conferences, uh, a wonderful website with a bunch of resources. Um, And as I mentioned before, there are multiple groups on Facebook. Um, I have to give a shout out to uh, one of the individuals who runs uh, one of the Facebook groups, um, Bald Boss. Um, Her name is Jamie Elmore. She's incredible, beautiful black woman, bald, alopecia. Uh, She is such a wonderful advocate for the community. Um, She also sells resources um, uh, like um, different creams and ointments for for the scalp that uh, hundreds of people have used is my understanding uh, based on the reviews that she's gotten. Um, She also um, has an alopecia areata specific podcast that she runs. Um, and she's also doing things internationally as well. Uh, she holds a parade every year, um, a bunch of beautiful women of color, bald, walking along the streets. Um, it is, I'm still trying to get to that um, parade one, <laughs> one year. Um, I missed it this year. I'm sad, but the photos on Facebook looked incredible. Um, 
but there are so, so many resources out there. And I would say if you are still unsure of where to turn to, I think Dr. Randy's going to place my email somewhere. Um, I'm happy to have you contact me and I can guide you um, to, um, you know, whatever resource would be best for you. Okay. And as I stated earlier, definitely going to put some of those organizations in the description of the show so y'all can find out where to go to for support. So as we kind of wrap up, any lasting words of wisdom that you'd like to leave for my healthy listeners? Hmm. Yeah. So I would say, first of all, I want to thank you, Dr. Randy, for having me on. Um, And happy Alopecia Awareness Month, (laughs) which is September. Wear blue for Alopecia Awareness Month. Um, I would like to leave with everyone who is listening that, um, the next time you see someone who is bald, uh, don't make any assumptions. I've had several people come up to me, um, in public spaces and ask me how my chemotherapy is going. Ask me when was I diagnosed with cancer? I had one gentleman share about his testicular cancer in the airport as I was running to catch my flight. I I don't know. I don't know what to say about that, but don't assume what's going on with someone. Um, If you feel, you know, the need to engage with them and ask what's going on, just be gentle, right? You don't know where someone is in their, you know, their disease progression, their life story. You don't know what's going on with someone, right? Like your comment could tip someone over the edge into, you know, the things we talked about before, anxiety, depression, PTSD, suicidal ideation. Like you really don't want to, you know, cause any more issues than that person is already going through. And so um, there are ways to, you know, ask, you know, hey, you know, I, um, I love your look. Can you, do you feel comfortable sharing more about, you know, um, uh, why you're bald or do you, you know, there are ways of asking that doesn't put the individual in a position to make them feel bad about the way that they look and read the situation, right? Like if somebody is looking stressed out or worried or they're running to their flight, maybe it's not the best time to engage with them. (laughs) Um, And then the last thing I'll mention is um, just getting support. So um, if you are going through alopecia, if you have a child going through alopecia, a friend, family, colleague, um, if you are just interested in, you know, alopecia areata, there are multiple places um, to uh, to go to online to learn more. Uh, and if you are the individual who is struggling with alopecia, I highly recommend you find someone um, or a resource or, you know, your primary doctor, a dermatologist, and ask for uh, resources and uh, support for your mental health. It is important for you to um, nurture your mental health just like you nurture your physical health. Definitely, definitely. That's why I always tell everybody to stay healthy physically and mentally. That's how I always like to wrap up my podcast. And side note, there are some weird people out there. I don't know why they're talking to you about testicular cancer before you get on the flight, man. I'm like, what are you doing? What, what are you doing, bro? You tripping. Tripping, man. And so I always like to end my podcast with Randy's random question. So I have one random question that I'd like to ask you. Are you okay. ready? I think so. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. I always like to put people on the hot seat. So you're at a concert. You're front row at the concert, who, what is the artist at the concert? Who are you at front row? Anybody that you want to go see? What concert is that? 
Oh man. So my, Ooh, that's tough. One person, huh? Mm -hmm. Man. One person. Or a group. Okay. We'll let you say a group too. Give me the group. Can it be someone who I've seen before or no, it has to be someone I haven't seen. You, you can pick whoever you want. Okay. Oof. I took my mom to this concert many years ago and it was one of the best concerts I'd ever been to. I was singing the entire time. We were like exiting after the concert, singing the whole time in the car. We were playing the record or not the record. I'm dating myself, but you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> Earth, Wind and Fire. It was so incredible. Um also, my mom has raised me listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire, and so I knew all the songs already. So we were dancing, we were singing, and everybody was dancing and singing. It was awesome. So Earth, Wind, and Fire. <laughs> all right, wasn't expecting that question. So Earth, Wind, and Fire pull you and your mom up on the stage. What song are y'all singing together? Ooh. Yeah, that's wait, I don't have to sing it, right? <laughs> um, I mean, if you want to, we're not going to stop you. Um, well, the copyright. <laughs> it is September for Alopecia Awareness Month. Earth, Wind & Fire has an awesome song entitled September. I'm going to go with September. <laughs> okay. Okay. We're not going to ask you for a couple of bars. We'll, we'll uh, say that for the next time. You do you one. remember? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So we're going to let you off the hot seat. I appreciate you being on and sharing your story. If you want to leave your information, social media channels where people follow you, you can spit it out right now for everyone. Oh man. Um, I'm also, I'm a social media challenged, uh, at times, but my Facebook and my, um, my Instagram are both Angie Renee. Um, and because I'm old, I don't have a Twitter or any of the other, I don't have a TikTok or any other social media thing. <laughs> Dr. Randy can teach me maybe how to set those up, but for now it's Angie Renee is, um, my information on social media. And then, yeah, you'll have my email, uh, with this podcast. All right. Greatly appreciate it. I just got on TikTok. I don't know what I'm doing on there. I'm just, I'm just on there talking about health, health information and showing my shoes. But I'm not going to be on there. Like I always say, shucking and jiving and stuff. Like, no, that, that's not my calling. <laughs> but thank you for being on and sharing some good information. I know my listeners learned a lot from you being on this episode. And we look forward to having you on in the future. Ooh, thank you so much, Dr. Andy. I had a great time and happy to share what I have learned and what I know and to support others. Thank you so much. Wow, that was some great information from Dr. Rogers. She opened up my eyes to the condition in ways I didn't even think about before. Hope you learned some stuff too. If you think you're suffering from symptoms of alopecia, be sure to discuss this with your primary care physician or a dermatologist. And if you've already been diagnosed with alopecia, please check out the links in the show description for support groups. 
Thank you, Dr. Rogers, for being on. And thank you for listening to this episode. Be sure to follow me on social media at underscore Dr. Randy. Share this episode if you enjoyed it and found it very informative. Check out my website at drrandymd.com. That's where you can find more information regarding me, your host. I will see you all next week. I'm working on a series called I'm Too Young for This Ish. It's going to be a great series about some of my friends who have been diagnosed with certain conditions early on in life. So I'm just giving you a little teaser. So look out for the series entitled I'm Too Young for This Ish coming in the next few weeks. Now it's time for me to go pull out my gray sweats and my hoodies. It's fall season, y'all. Fall season. So I'll see you all next week. And as always, stay healthy physically and mentally.